the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, March the 11th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on March 11, 1918, what were believed to be the first confirmed U.S. cases of a deadly global flu pandemic were reported among U.S. Army soldiers stationed at Fort Fort, uh, Riley, Kansas. Forty-six of them died. That flu pandemic it is said, uh, claimed about between 20 and 40 million lives. We have now, a little more than 100 years later, gone through another epidemic, pandemic. But I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think things are getting better now. They say so. I believe it. Today in 1862, during the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln removed General George McClellan. He had a hard time in his military career. Lincoln removed him as General-in-Chief of the Union Armies, left him in command of the Army of the Potomac. But McClellan didn't keep that post either. He ended up losing that job as well. There's an interesting story to that. I won't get into that today for the sake of time, but it is kind of interesting It's kind of amusing as long as you're not George McClellan. Today, in 1935, the Bank of Canada, it began operations. It issued its first series of banknotes. Today, in 1941, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, he signed the Lend-Lease Bill. That provided war supplies to uh, countries that were fighting the Axis. Today, in 1942, Japanese forces were continuing to advance in the Pacific during World War II, U.S. Army General Douglas MacArthur, he left the Philippines. He went to Australia, where he vowed on March 20, I shall return. He kept that promise two and a half years later. Today, 1955, Sir Alexander Fleming, he died in London. He was 73 years old. He's the guy that discovered penicillin accidentally. Ten years ago today, a magnitude 9.0 earthquake resulting in tsunami, struck Japan's northeastern coast. We all remember that because it killed nearly 20,000 people, but it severely damaged that Fukushima nuclear power plant. Remember that? It was a big deal. All kinds of stories were going around the globe. Some stories were saying that the the end of the world had come, that we were all going to be killed from the nuclear fallout and so on. That was 10 years ago today. One year ago today, with infection clusters expanding in the United States and Europe, the World Health Organization, they declared that the coronavirus, they were actually calling it the Wuhan virus at that time. That was before it became politically incorrect. The Wuhan virus outbreak was a pandemic. In an Oval Office address to the nation, President Donald Trump, said one year ago today, he said he was sharply restricting travel from Europe to the U.S. He had previously restricted, greatly restricted, almost cut off travel from China to the U.S. He had been roundly criticized 
for both, particularly cutting off China. But when he restricted travel from Europe, the Democrats had a fit. They criticized him for days. Then they got quiet because everyone knew he had made the right decision. The U.S. House of Representatives passed a $1.9 trillion coronavirus package yesterday. $1.9 trillion. Every Democrat voted for it except one. Representative Jared Golden, he's a Democrat from Maine, he voted against it. Every House Republican voted against it. But it passed. The reaction to the package was mostly celebratory. Some of the Republicans were out there talking about how devastating and what it's really about. The media covered a little bit of it, I guess, so they could feel that they were fair and balanced or whatever. But President Joe Biden, he retweeted from someone else's words, Help is here, probably Nancy Pelosi. I don't know who he was quoting, but anyway, he retweeted it. Help is here in celebration of the legislation, but it only allocates 9% of $1.9 trillion to defeating this virus or helping people recover from it or whatever. Only 9%. So you give the country a $10 bill and keep nine cents or 90 cents for what it was intended to do. How does that work? It's interesting. There's a lot of fraud, a lot of misrepresentation around this $1.9 trillion bill that's being celebrated last night and this morning as well. They passed it. They got it through. Nancy Pelosi said, I knew we could do it. Chuck Schumer said, we're on a new path. Boy, that's true. I wrote an article about that today and about the next, the next big heist, as we call it. This was like the great train robbery of the 1930s. This isn't at all what was presented to the taxpayers as this coronavirus. They took advantage. The left always takes advantage of a crisis. In fact, they love crises. They say they do, and they do. Saul Alinsky taught them that. Marx taught Alinsky that. You always take advantage of any crisis, and that's exactly what they've done here in this pandemic crisis. And there are needs, and there are things that the government should do. I'm not, like, pro-no government, but man, has this been a big misrepresentation. And I think it's concerning, it should be concerning to all of us, what this bill really has in it that has nothing to do with a virus. But there's a a cartoon that uh, Town Hall published yesterday afternoon. I included it in an article that I wrote today on faithandfreedom.us. If for no other reason, you don't have to read what I wrote, but many do, but go to faithandfreedom.us and just look at the cartoon. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I got the biggest smile out of this. It's a, it's a picture of this Branco group, 
uh, flagandcross.com is their organization. They they put this out, and I'm, I give them credit. I mean, it's it's just phenomenal, I think. And um, it shows this like a bank, and, and over the bank, written in various kid-type colors, it says, Your Kid's Future, with a dollar sign on each side of it. And uh, it, it, it's at night. You can tell it's night because the sky is kind of dark. But running out of there with this great big treasure chest, it says $2 trillion across the front of it. Then on the side of it, it says Blue State Bailout. And then down below that, it says 9% COVID relief. And Nancy Pelosi's carrying one end of it and Chuck Schumer the other. And Nancy is saying to Chuck, and they're both kind of looking over their shoulder, look, look. Megan and Harry drama. In other words, hey, everybody in the U.S., get involved with Harry and Megan and the drama while we're sneaking out with this two point. It's a two million, two trillion dollar uh, money bag. It's something that I, I mean, I, I just would like you to see it. So take a look at that. Faith and Freedom. Maybe it isn't funny to you, but I thought it was clever. And <clears throat> it tells a very important story. But there is another story that's not so funny. Joe Biden said in 1994, those of us who are opposed to abortion should not be compelled to pay for them. Back in 1994, a worried Delaware taxpayer had sent a message to his senator, his senator, Joe Biden. He said, Mr. Biden, please don't force me to pay for abortions against my conscience. Joe Biden sent a very unambiguous response. He said, and I quote, Joe Biden Senator, I will continue to abide by the same principle that has guided me throughout my 21 years in the Senate. Those of us who are opposed to abortion should not be compelled to pay for them. As you may know, Biden continued his response. Excuse me. I have consistently on no fewer than 50 occasions voted against federal funding of abortions. The government, Biden said, should not tell those with strong convictions against abortion, such as you and I, that we must pay for them. Today, March 11, 2021, Biden is the most powerful man in the United States government. He doesn't sound like it. He doesn't act like it. He doesn't even look like it as he presents himself in public, very rarely. But he is. What about the strong convictions against abortion? He's now demanding, and this bill will enforce, it's now passed, he's now demanding that Americans with strong convictions against abortion must pay for them with their tax dollars. This is the moral price that Joe Biden personally is willing to pay to become vice president in the Democratic Party of the United States of America and then and now president. As the nominee of his party, as the standard bearer for his party, his party will not tolerate leaders who insist on defending the innocent, unborn child in the womb of its mother. When Biden ran for president in 2020, he made clear on his campaign, and it was all over his website, and it still is, that he favored not only nationwide abortion on demand, but also federal funding of it. He has sold his soul for the opportunity, what he calls his lifelong dream, to be president of the United States. 
He has sold his soul to sit behind the resolute desk in the Oval Office. And while it is the most powerful seat in the world politically, I would like to remind you of what Jesus said about such things. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 25 says, For whatsoever will, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And then in verse 26 he says this, he asks the question, For what is, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a lingering question. Jesus was not only asking that of his disciples, but he was asking that of all of us who would read those words, even today in 2021. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? George Beverly Shea used to sing about that at the Billy Graham Crusades. When I was a kid growing up, I used to hear that. If I gain the world and lose my soul, what will it profit? That's a question that lingers in the minds of people. And yet, Joe Biden, this is not a criticism of him. My heart breaks. For a man who is said by the press to be the most religious, that's their words, the most religious president in 50 years, he himself always talks about how devout he is in his Catholicism. And yet he is becoming known as a barbarian who is committed to extinguishing the lives of unwanted babies in their mother's womb and right up until the moment that they are birthed outside the, the womb of the mother. What are we willing to give in exchange he has given his soul. I don't know what he will say before God. I can't judge his heart. But I can certainly take a look at his actions. How does a man claim to be a devout Christian and move these kinds of policies forward in the name of God? That's the problem that we have in America today. We're so confused, we don't even know what we're talking about when we talk about right and wrong and good and evil and God. It seems like we attach God to everything we do nowadays politically. It doesn't matter how gross and barbaric it may be. It's in some way done in the name of the Lord. Yesterday, Nancy Pelosi, in an unguarded moment, Someone asked her on one of the channels, I think it was MSNBC, I'm not sure which one, I just happened to be looking at it, at a lot of video. And somebody asked her, well, how do you feel? And she said, praise God. And I thought, what? We may praise God, but I don't think we're pleasing God with these kinds of actions. This bill is $2 trillion nearly of nonsense, but at its heart, it removes the Hyde Amendment, and now taxpayers in America will be paying for abortion. 
Well, there's another big heist underway. That was heist number one. Now we're looking at heist number two. It's called H.R. 1. In fact, they've titled it For the People Act 2021. It's 791 pages long. That's They've turned to that today. They, the, the media is saying this morning that is the next big challenge for President Biden. Well, it's a challenge that I hope he doesn't win. We'll see. It's on the threshold of being approved, but it's before the Senate now, and we'll see what the Senate does. But I do want to take a quick look at it. NBC News, they summarized it like this. They said the legislation, this is H.R. 1, this is the next big heist, the next big train robbery by those who claim to be public servants. NBC News summarized H.R. 1 like this. They said the legislation... They said this yesterday afternoon, it's a wish list of policies voting rights advocates have been urging lawmakers to adopt for years. It rethinks the entire voting process. They always use this term rethinks. Have you noticed that? You rethink things. Anyway, it rethinks the entire voting process. This is NBC. How people register to vote, how ballots are cast, how states conduct elections. The goal, NBC says, is to improve access, particularly for voters of color. Well, They throw the voters of color in because if you disagree with anything in this gigantic bill, H.R. 1, you're a racist. And that's exactly the way they want it to be couched. At least 10 Republican votes will be needed to pass H.R. 1. It doesn't appear that they have 10 votes, but they have some. Activist attorneys are praising the bill. Of course, Nancy Pelosi is saying we have to do this for the people, for the minorities. It's the Christian thing to do. Elizabeth Hyra, she's an attorney at the Progressive Brennan Center for Justice. It's a part of New York University School of Law. She helped craft the bill, as a matter of fact. She was previously in the House of Representatives. And this Wendy Weiser, she's also there at this Brennan Center. Boy, they're exotic, excited about this whole bill and what's in it and everything. They say it will thwart nearly all of the more than 200 restrictive voting proposals that her group has been able to identify in 43 states. Translated to English for us common folk out here, what that means is that they have identified 200 uh, voting uh, policies or laws that have been put in place in states across the country, in 43 states, that are trying to true up our voting system and get away from the fraud. NBC kind of summarizes it. They say it makes it easier to register, stay on the rolls by offering online registration. I mean, they're praising the thing, trying to get it passed. They're in there. They're one of the representatives, one of the senators. It limits how states can purge voter rolls, requires the U.S. Postal Postal Service to facilitate voter registration updates. It requires states to allow 16- and 17-year-olds to pre-register when they get their driver's license so they can vote when they turn 18. That's the biggest voting block now in in the country is this group coming on. And they're the most freshly indoctrinated right out of our government-run schools. H.R. 1 will require all states to allow all voters the option of voting by mail. It will stop lawmakers who are already trying to place more, not fewer, restrictions on mail voting. Voting rights will be restored for felons who have completed their sentences. 
That's about 5.2 million people. And it's estimated that about 900,000 of those people are living in Florida. Florida is very important to the left. They want to turn it from red to blue, of course. The bill will ban district maps that unduly favor, I'm reading from the text of this 791-page bill, ending gerrymandering, beef up election cybersecurity, cutting cutting out big donors. It will test out a voucher program in three states, and if it looks good in three states, and it will to them, then they'll let voters allocate $25 to the candidate of their choice, which is based on a program that is none other than Seattle's own program. They're part of this bill as a model. Nancy Pelosi's top priority is power and money, though. It's turning America into a one-party nation. That's what they're trying to do. I, I'm not that smart, but I can summarize, <clears throat> I think, I can summarize 791 pages in about two minutes. Just bear with me for a moment. If this bill is passed, H.R. 1, for the people bill, it will seize authority from the states and place the federal government in complete control. It will ban state voter ID laws. It will mandate no-fault absentee ballots. It will force states to accept absentee ballots up to 10 days after Election Day. It will automatically register all individuals, as opposed to citizens, and thus require the person to opt out if they don't want to vote. It will register convicted felons. It will allow people to vote outside their precinct. It will punish anyone who questions the validity of the voter. It will prevent poll watchers from cooperating with election officials to identify and challenge voter registrations concerning fraud. It will allow same-day registration, no ID, and no ability to verify a voter. A person can go precinct to precinct, voting multiple times under different names, and never be caught. Now, that's Gary's version of 791 pages, but that's what's in that thing. It's awful. And this is just the beginning. It opens the door for even more election fraud. I mean, it is just like bare naked. If you look at this thing, that's what it's about. It's, I mean, Barack Obama himself has got to be smiling. It just moves everything from the state level to the government level. It gives the federal government the power over the states in elections, the most important action that we take as a nation, voting, electing, and passing or not passing certain bills and things. One, of the sec- one section in this H.R. 1 It imposes a penalty of five years in jail and a $100,000 fine on anyone who attempts to, I'm reading from the text, mislead or impede voters in the 60 days leading up to an election. What does that mean? What do words like mislead and impede actually mean? They can mean whatever you want them to mean. They're very subjective. They know that. That's why they're trying to... ensconce these into into law. Mislead? Well, what's misleading to one person may not be to another. But what this is is setting the stage so that they, they can take a position, the left, in their solidifying their power to be perpetually in power in the United States. 
I've said this many times before, and I know those of you who listen every day, you're probably tired of hearing it, but I've seen this in third world countries. When I was involved in, in missionary work, I would I saw this and I never dreamed I would see it in our own country, in America. This is what they do in the jungles, in the dark corners of this earth. And we read about it maybe in history. Mostly not anymore. But that's what they do. One person or one small group gets in power, then they change the laws to support them and perpetuate themselves, and they're perpetually in power under the guise of democracy and democratic action of voting. This is one of the things that kept our founding fathers awake at night. They were worried about this. I mean, it's all over the place. If you look at the notes, if you actually read, not listen to someone else quoting them because they often misquote them, but if you read what they actually said in their dialogue and, and things they wrote back and forth and wrote to other people in letters and notes and things, it's abundantly clear that our founding fathers knew that man is broken, he's sinful. They even said that in some of their communications, that we're all sinful. We need checks and balances. And they put checks and balances into the founding of this nation. That's why the Constitution has endured so long now. But it's under threat, I can tell you. And again, reflecting on some of the things I've seen in my lifetime with my own eyes, I witness. I'm seeing some of the same things beginning to rear their head up out of that infamous swamp in D.C. and elsewhere. And that's what's going on here, and that's what we're seeing here. This bill, I, I don't, I mean, I maybe I'm naive. I don't think it could possibly pass, but it looks like it might. It could. It's because the, the Republicans, I don't think any Republican will vote for it. I mean, I, not that I'm aware of, and I've been following this pretty closely. But I will tell you that the Democrats, with the vote of the vice president, they have a majority, slim as it may be, but they have to get 60 votes on this one. Otherwise, it would be a done deal. So that's what we're looking at now. And as Nancy and Chuck carry out the treasure chest of $2, billion, $2 trillion, stash it away in their closet somewhere to do all these other things that they're doing, which basically is bail out all of the blue states and the blue, the Democrat-run cities that are upside down bankrupt, like Seattle. I mean, it's not bankrupt, but I mean, they're morally bankrupt and for the most part, financially so. Los Angeles, California. I mean, you look, you just look at where these problems are in Portland, Seattle, San Francisco. I mean, they're crazy. And, and all of the problems that are there, we know what they are. You look at that, this money, primarily this almost $2 trillion, except for 9% of it, is going to bail out the policies of the left. And now they are trying to put this through H.R. 1, calling it a bill for the people or whatever. They're trying now to take it to the next step, to the next level. It's very concerning. It should be concerning to all of us. But don't be overcome by fear. And remember that God is in control. God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in trouble. Thank you for your support. 
We need it. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. I'll see you right here tomorrow.